Today's scripture reading is Acts 14, verses 8 to 18. In Lystra, there is a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked, for he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul, looking at him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that what Paul has done, they shouted in the Lacunian language, The God has come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways. Yet he has not left himself without a witness in doing good giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the cross from offering sacrifice to them. This is the word of God. Body. <laughs> we made it. We made it through. Oh. I was in charge of the photography sessions uh, and had some helpers with uh, Michael Mann and King Fong for the week for kids camp. Let's do the first slide up. And today I get to share with you about camp, partly, too, because it ties in really well with our scripture reading we just heard today. Uh, I also promised the staff I was going to keep the sermon down to something under like 25 or 30 minutes. So um, here we go. There's a guy named Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas. No, I'm just joking. Um, I do want to tell you a story, though. Each day at camp, when we'd start, Mary would stand up and you would share a story with the kids. And in the story, you had picture books. And so I'm going to tell the story of we just heard with some pictures that I drew, if that would be okay. So it's like story time with John Jay instead of story time with Mary. There were these two folks named Paul and Barnabas, and they were on their way. They were in Lystra. And there's this guy who's uh, got this problem, this health condition, and Paul's not going to have it. Paul sees him. Looks at him intently. This is pretty obvious, right? This is the kids are used to seeing these kinds of pictures, and crawls out in a loud voice. I'm not sure why a loud voice, but calls out for him to stand. Sees that he has faith and says, "Stand up!" So this guy leaps, and he's able to move. He's healed in some really deep and meaningful way. Now, here's the problem: all the people around don't know where this power came from, this authority. And so they immediately assume that Paul and Barnabas are in fact 
this kind of incarnation of the local gods, particularly Zeus and Hermes. Let's go to the next one. There it is. Nope, one more. There it is. Yeah. Now, the little squiggly lines above their heads are a very common way in cartoon form to say these people are not happy about this designation that they are known as Zeus and Hermes. But here's the problem. Word gets out that Zeus and Hermes are on the scene. And so the priest of these local temple gods decides to bring a whole bunch of oxen and garland to shower these two with. They're not having that either. And so they very shove it out of the way, right? That's not what this story is about. And then they tell this story. You heard it at the very end of the reading this morning. If you have a Bible, it's in Acts chapter 14. It says in verse 17, he has not allowed, God has not allowed himself without a witness and doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. What Paul and Barnabas, not Zeus and Hermes, are saying here is for those folks who are misunderstanding, misapprehending this entire event, for them to just look around. That even if they don't know the full story of Judaism, if they don't maybe have Torah memorized, uh, and maybe they haven't heard about this Jesus character, that God has not been left without a witness, they say, because all around you, it, there's goodness. Right, you may, this is your first time in church, for instance. It's not like you've never experienced joy before. If you've ever had a shrimp po' boy, you've experienced joy before. Unless you don't like seafood, then I don't know how your life has ever found joy. Right, rains from the heavens and fruitful seasons. That's like getting a huge bonus at work you weren't expecting. Or finding a bag full of money on the street sort of thing. Like, that's a big deal. A bag full of money that says you can keep it if you found it. You don't have to turn it in situation. Right? Or whatever sort of gladness you have found. That God is present and speaking even in ways outside of the text. Now, there's a word for this. It is called general revelation or natural revelation. That God is present and communicating even beyond the words of the text. Now, a lot of times when we think about church, we think about all of the ways that we learn about God and Jesus and salvation and God's great world and the kingdom of heaven as we find it in the scripture, right? Whenever we did the blessing earlier, this is what I brought up because I feel like this is, I'm a student of this text, right? Uh, Paul and Barnabas are talking about something beyond and even before the text, which is all of creation, And that it tells its own story. There's this psalm, Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the sky proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, night to night declares knowledge. I I don't know what that is for you, but this morning whenever I arrived at church and looked outside, there was like a hummingbird darting from flower to flower. And hummingbirds always have a mixture of joy and anxiety to me when I see them moving around like they do, but there was something present in God's provision in that moment. Or maybe you woke up early enough that it was still cool outside. And just that coolness feels like a gift. There's something that God is communicating in all of this. So what we did this week at arts camp 
is we took this idea, this deep-seated belief that God is present and speaking to us all of the time, and we asked kids if they would slow down and listen with us, if they would look around with us, if they would pay attention and tell us what they're seeing, offer back to us some of that joy in cooking, in painting, in photography, in different ways of seeing and engaging in the world. The very first line of scripture that I've carried around with me for quite a while, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God what? Yes, created. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. And that's the first thing we learn about this God, is that this God creates stuff. That there's something inherent in God's personality where newness and goodness just pours forth. A little later in this story, we are created. And the way that the scriptures say we are created is in the image and the likeness of God. And then we're given this job early on in Genesis, which is we name the animals. Do you remember this part in the book of Genesis? Part of naming the animals is us getting to participate and practice being creative. We are unleashed into this world in this way. Now, a lot of us have forgotten that. Partly I know a lot of us have forgotten that because when we announced arts camp and we asked for volunteers, how many people said, oh, oh, well, I'm just not very creative. So I don't know how I would offer to help during arts camp, to which we all said, uh, whatever the really nice Christian version is of hogwash. Uh, I can say hogwash in church, right? I just did twice, so hopefully so. Uh, yeah, that we are all endowed with this ability. And it may not be that, uh, you look out there and you see the photos or you see the painting and you think I couldn't do that, but maybe you're a, a parent. And maybe your creative act in the world is raising humans. And if you don't think that that takes a lot of ingenuity, then you haven't given it a go, right? Or maybe it's simply that you do like Cindy Extra and can craft a meal that isn't just good, right? It's like infused with love and affection. We could go right next to her to Dave. I mean, the fact that this building is still standing is in part because of Dave's creative care for it. And they don't make half the parts for this building anymore. So anytime something breaks, we have to think creatively about what that looks like. A lot of you work in creative fields. And it's not simply a career, right, Dustin, in the back. It's not simply a career. It isn't part of vocation to bring a certain awareness to the, like, textures of life, to tell stories in a way that might offer something true back. So that's what we did with the kids. Uh, We said to them that you are inherently creative and that we are going to talk about the good stuff. Uh, And we asked the question on the first day, what's the word for good in Hebrew? And people knew it, right? They what's the word for good? It's tov. This is what God creates is tov stuff. Okay. I have three minutes. (laughs) That's not true. Let me walk you through just a little bit about what we taught the kids in camp. Partly too, because I wish all of you could be there. And actually, we're having discussions on the staff side about if there's a way to recreate some of this material, maybe to offer to anybody in like evening sessions, because it was really rich. So the first day was Monday, and it was uh, God's stuff is good. And each class was asked if they would talk with their kids and explain like the principles and foundations of whatever discipline they were working on. So for us, it was photography. We talked about composition and contrast, talked about focus proportion and balance. Um, mind you, these are with kids ages what? Oh, six, to like six to 11. So describing negative space 
as a design element to six and seven year olds was a reach, but we all did it together. Uh, in our class, the first thing we did was we learned how to see light together. So we came into this space and in this space, we gave them these little film cameras. Do you remember film cameras? Little one-time use things? And we asked them to capture the light. If you go outside into the lobby space, you'll see this bullet, this uh, whiteboard, and all of their pictures of our sanctuary are lining it because they walked around here for like 30, 40 minutes together, slowly seeing the light. All the lights were off and just the windows were flooding in. I don't know if you noticed each time we come in here, but God's light is streaming through. If we cut the lights off right here, like it floods the stage, it's as though the people who built this knew which way the sun moved and knew which way the light would cast. When the Bible talks about light, it's the first thing that God creates and it is the thing by which we see all other things. And John 1 talks about Christ being present in creation and that Christ is light and life. So when we show these kids what it means to be creative, we... we Help them to see how God is already illuminating the world for them and for us. How often do we appreciate just the fact that we can gaze? That I can notice Leslie and Warren here, and the fact that I can see you is because you are illuminated. And that illumination says something about God's generosity, pouring forth all of the time. It doesn't have to be this way. But there's something instead of nothing. Let's go to the next slide. On Tuesday, we talked about nature being the good stuff. Now, in uh, Old Town Pasadena, there's just not a whole lot of nature unless you're really looking for it. But it turns out it's everywhere. So we took them down into uh, the green space in between the parking garage and the church. And in, in my class, these kids had these little viewfinders, just a little cutout rectangle And uh, Ken Fong and I walked around with the kids and we asked them to look, to look really closely. They didn't get a camera this day. They just got their eyes, but they got their eyes focused. In fact, a lot of what we do on Sunday mornings with scripture is I'm giving all of you viewfinders and and a text and I'm saying, let's look at this closely. Let's focus and bracket out certain things and bracket in others. And over the course of minutes or an hour in worship and liturgy, we are shaping a vision of the world. That's what these kids are doing with these little viewfinders. So let's go to the next slide, Brian. I want to show you just one kid and what he was doing. If we can. We don't know. I can tell you what we're going to see. (laughs) It moved a little fast. We'll see if you get there. I'll tell them about it. Uh, On the screen out here in the lobby space, there is um, all of the kids' pictures from nature. There's this one... This kid, his name is Gabriel. He's got a viewfinder and he's leaning against a tree. Ken, you took this picture. You remember it. He's leaning against a tree and he's looking up through the viewfinder like this. And uh, I don't know about you, but oh yeah, there it is. We're going to do this old fashioned way. Watching a kid slow down long enough, because when I see kids certain ages, they're not, they're doing this, right? They're looking at some screen in front of them, but to turn their eyes back outward into the world so he takes and he looks and then there's this picture ken was telling them about how to look for s's in nature that that s's create really lovely compositions and and there's this picture right here you can see that ken helped capture but to offer patience in sight i know sometimes when we show up here 
Sometimes we crave quick answers to complicated questions. And I ask you to stay patient with me. Because the thing God is telling us might take a little bit of time to see or to hear. It's part of what we got to practice with our kids. Uh, let's, we're going to try our best here, Brian, right, to go to Wednesday. We'll see what happens here. On Wednesday, we told the kids and taught them that I am the good stuff, right? Like, Mary, you're the good stuff. But to believe that about yourself. Um, they're young still. So a lot of them still think they're the stuff. It's really cool. Now, some of them have already absorbed messages that they're not. That whatever they have to offer in the world isn't as of much value as their neighbor. But to get to sit with them day to day, and then on the day on Wednesday, teach them to see themselves and name themselves. Different classes handled this in different ways. Uh, Corey had them paint self-portraits on top of really primary shapes and colors, and you can see those out there. Uh, Michael Mann and I had them write down little phrases about who they are. Seven words that describe who you are, or a couple of sentences that describe who you are. And they would carry that up to the photographer, and they'd say, help me capture this. And we would sit with them, and we would listen to how they describe themselves. Who are you, is the question. Here's a picture that I took of Michael. I know Michael really well. Uh, incredibly helpful, incredibly generous with his time. Is Michael here today? Yes, you are. Uh, and I used you as an example on the next day. Uh, so Michael and I took pictures of the kids, and we would show them their pictures and their reactions to these pictures, right? A lot of them maybe had never had a professional portrait taken. So to see themselves reflected back into the world with all of the, like, beauty and complexity that each of us are... Uh, it is an offering. It was great that we got to do that. And Michael, I'm so grateful that you helped me with it. The next day, though, uh, let's do one more. I want to show you one more if we can. This is Caden. Caden is uh, part of our congregation, Kiani's nephew. Kiani's uh, just finished our youth group. And I asked Caden, I was like, what do you love about yourself? And I kind of had a sense because of what he was doing in the space. I said, Caden, what is it you love about yourself? And he's, you know, he's doing this, and he said, I love my hair. It's like, of course you love your hair. That hair is awesome. Uh, and so I was like, let's do some pictures where you just kind of throw it and thrash it around. So he's shaking it and doing all this cool stuff. And this picture I caught as he was falling and he caught himself. And you can feel this kind of buoyant energy from this kid. that he gets to tell his story in the world just by being himself. So then on Thursday, we worked on seeing the good stuff in one another. Right? So you're the good stuff and you're the good stuff. And Mary that morning would go around and every time you'd show up in the building, she'd give you a high five and she'd say, you're the good stuff. And you feel it whenever Mary tells it to you because Mary doesn't lie. And uh, also Mary does not hide her true feelings and affections. So it was a really good day just to be in the building. Um, in our class, we worked on what we call blessing critiques where they took the portrait of their neighbor and they wrote all the things that captivated them, that was compelling about that person. And, and out there, these like word clouds of, of blessing that they were able to offer back to one another. Um, but I want to tell you a story about Corey's class that she shared with me. Uh, will you go to the next slide here, Brian, and the quote? Uh, there are these two huge murals off to the side in the lobby space. And uh, on the nature day, they worked with like organic material, right? So celery, lettuce, uh, cut out shapes and potatoes. And they use those to stamp all over these six by 10 foot canvases. Crazy. I can't believe you trusted the kids to do that. Um, and then on Thursday, you ask the kids to work together to connect all of these disparate shapes and patterns into this cohesive, unified community piece. 
And that's what you see on the walls is this uh, individual effort engaging with nature uh, tied together with this group project. And so on Friday, they did a critique session of all the work they did in painting. And Corey asked the question of the kids, um, if our mural was a feeling, what would it be? That's the kind of questions we ask in art. In case you're wondering what happens in critique sessions. If the mural were a feeling, what would it be? This kid raises his hand. Corey gives him the microphone to talk because when you give a kid a microphone, everyone else listens. And he said that uh, the feeling that I had was pride. And so Corey says, can you explain what what do you mean by pride? He said, I can see all of the different ways that my neighbors contributed. I can see all of our work together in this mural. And when I see all of it come together, it just makes me really proud to see himself sort of recede back and see his partners kind of push forward and become this community of creativity. And for him, that did not make him smaller, but in fact made the group bigger. By the way, when you sing, it makes me proud. It makes Pastor Leslie proud. It sounds big. And each of you sound more, not less. Can you feel how each day we would take our own values and we would just dig them deep into the ground with these kids? We intentionally kept this camp smaller this year. We capped it at about 70 kids because we wanted to know them and we wanted them to be able to go deep with the material. So rather than hundreds that maybe just kind of skip across the surface, we had a fewer number that we could really spend time with and get to know. And it's the only way it's possible to have a comment like this come out. This week has made me feel proud. Friday, if you would go to that one, Brian. And this is what we do, if you haven't noticed, this is what we do every Sunday, is we take the good stuff into the world. What's our language for here? It's benediction. It's blessing. That we come into this space, we learn what it is God has for us to do in the world, we learn who we are in God's eyes, and then we turn that back out into the world in blessing. So that's what they did on Friday, is they would take their work and they figured out, how are we going to give this away? And uh, I did not have a chance to go into the kitchen, partly because it was like 150 degrees in the kitchen, but also because I was confined to the uh, photography room. But on Friday, I kept getting these texts. I got a text from Pastor Gretchen. Uh, I got a text from a couple of other staff members that said, uh, a couple of kids are looking for you, John Jay. They've got something for you. And so finally I made it into the chapel and like these three kids, they rush up on me like, here you go, here you go. This is for you, John Jay. And uh, let's go to the the last slide. Um, They had baked cookies on their last day. And I didn't know the full extent of the project, but uh, Cindy said that they had made somewhere around three and they were supposed to keep one and give away two. Is this right? And so I I received these bags of two cookies. Um, And... It was this moment of overflow from these kids. It wasn't compelled. I mean, they felt very much like this is just what they wanted to do. But they had been steeped in this, these disciplines. They had been sitting with Cindy in the kitchen and learning about, I mean, like, you give treats away about once every couple of weeks in church. You get to know Cindy, and you're going to get a bag full of gingerbread one day. Um, And never compelled, I'm not like, where's my gingerbread this week? It just happens. But for Cindy to teach some kids what it looks like to give away the fruits of your labor, to give away part of your heart, this is what we did day after day. And here's why we did it. 
Because we believe this is what God is like. We believe that this generosity does not originate with us or our brilliant intention, but in fact is a reflection of how God is always acting toward us. So each day, in each different way, these kids, with the help of these leaders and experts, learned how to tune their own life and creativity to the rhythms of God. This sort of um, generative quality of life, it's, it is in many ways innate. That when we're living out of our truest self, the person that God has created you to be, there is this overflow that you offer into the world. Somebody was telling me, I can't remember who it is, so if it was you, then thank you, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the source, that they've done, oh, I think it was our cousin, that they've, um, they have this test that they use, like at NASA or something, to figure out who has an aptitude for creative problem solving. And they'll give this test, it kind of scores you on creativity. And they want to identify people who might be able to come up with solutions that don't exist yet. Uh, they've given this test to young kids, and the success rate is like 70, 80%, whereas with what is it? It's higher? 90? See, I was trying to be conservative. And what is it with uh, adults? What is it? Three? So like 3% of adults score in this range of like overflowing creativity. And you said something like 90-something percent? 98% of kids do. What that tells me is that we have forgotten something. And we spent a week this week with a whole bunch of kids trying to remember it. And at least I felt like my own sort of sacred primal self was reawakened to what it is I am capable of offering in the world. A couple of things. When you leave this space, you're going to leave through the lobby and you're going to look and you're going to see what these kids did. I want you to receive it as an offering because it is meant to be that for you. That's one. Two. When you leave this space and you go and you look in the lobby, I want to see the, you to see the offering that you gave that made this possible. A lot of you helped out this week. You've got aprons on and we are deeply appreciative of you. And we're going to say thank you to you toward the end of the service in a more formal way. A lot of you have been giving to our congregation, to our ministry funds that made this camp possible. A lot of you have been sustaining this organization, this institution, this building for years and decades and made it possible. And so your offering is present in that lobby space Two, wherever we go and whatever we do as a congregation, we carry with us our deepest convictions about who God is and what God is doing in the world. And for a week, we tried to tell that story with photography and with cooking and with paints and supplies in a different way. But it's the same story. Which is that God's generosity is always going forth. And when we are paying attention We get to step into that stream, into that river, and it flows through us. The New Testament calls this living water. And if you were tuned into, if you were stepping into the flow of living water, then the goodness of God that moves through Christ into you moves through you into the world. These cookies reminded me of communion. This offering from these kids. They could have taken them home. They could have saved them for dinner. And it was a small gesture, but it was full of them. The gesture here at the table is not a small one, and it is full of Christ. This offering 
life broken and poured out for us. There is a certain kind of communion or Eucharist that has happened this week, that has happened in our lobby. There is a certain kind of communion or Eucharist that has happened above us in these flowers that you all helped Corey to create. There's a certain kind of offering that has happened in the generations that built this space around us so we can worship and gather and feel God's presence. And there is a certain kind of offering and communion we are asking of you. So we're going to move into this time where we open the table up. And uh, you're going to come forward and you're going to receive the bread and the cup from one of our deacons and one of our staff, from our leaders. And... uh, Like we've said this entire service, we understand faith and life with God to be one of giving away. For whatever it is you are receiving, that you are turning it loose. And so even in coming forward here, I'm going to ask that you keep your life loose, flexible, generous. That that breathing that you're doing that seeing and that hearing, all of the unis that is in this space, uh, that it would move outward as well as in. That you wouldn't just simply be a receptacle for experience, but you would in fact be a pathway for it, for the world. There are folks who are dying to be at this table, to feel themselves welcomed into God's family. There are some folks who would have never assumed they wouldn't be allowed here until someone told them that they weren't. It reminds me of children. This is an open table here, by the way. If you're a member of this church, then of course you are welcome here. If you're a first-time guest, then of course you are welcome here. If you are somewhere on your faith journey that does not have precise language, but you feel yourself drawn, of course you are welcome here. If you are young, if you are old, if you can make it up here, or if you need to stay where you are, we will find you. You are welcome here. It is overwhelming to discover the generosity of God. It is overwhelming to discover the generosity of God born in us and given to the world. I'm going to ask at this time if our deacons uh, and our staff, if y'all would uh, prepare, come forward for communion. It was on the night... When Jesus is going to be handed over to suffering and to death. That he gathered in a room with his friends and his disciples. And he sat at the table. And that room was full of anxiety and anticipation of questions. And dogged assurance about what was going to happen next. And in that space of possibility... He took these common elements, took bread, and giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So take and eat. And as often as you do, remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. So take and drink. And as often as you do, remember me. And so that's what we do. 
Right? Every time we gather around these elements with any kind of intention and awareness, we remember Christ in life, death, and resurrection and the promise of our own new life until Christ comes again. That in some kind of sacred way, just like we know that the kids are present in the offerings that they've given us and that you are present in the offerings that you give in this space, that Christ is present here. I don't need any more precise language to name it because you can feel it. And it is for you. So a couple of words of uh, how we're going to do this logistics.